Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. It is hard to believe that Paul may have been mistaken in a situation, but in his conflict with Barnabas, younger Paul seems to have made some mistakes. How does learning from older Paul help us with our conflicts today? You're listening to Paul in Conflict by Reverend Peter Yonker. Our Bible reading this morning is from Acts chapter 15. I'll be reading verses 36 through 41. Acts 15, 36 through 41. This is a continuation of our sermon series on the book of Acts for those of you who are visitors this morning. And as, as Christy alluded to, you know, up till now in this sermon series, as we've studied Acts, we've focused on really positive things. We focused on great movements of the spirit that were positive and joyful. Things like, you know, Pentecost and Peter's preaching and thousands of people converted. Paul standing in front of Agrippa and Festus and challenging the kings and and sort of turning the the balance of power in that courtroom. Uh, The koinonia of the early church, how wonderfully close they all were. So all good stuff. Today we're focusing on something on the other side, something negative, something that was also in the early church, and that thing is conflict, church conflict. That's something we know uh, something about in the Christian Reformed Church. We know a little bit about conflict. I was uh, thinking this week, and I was thinking 160 years ago, in western Michigan, there was only one Reformed denomination of Dutch descent. I'm not counting the Presbyterians. Only one. Today, by my mental calculations, there are at least eight just in western Michigan, okay? Reformed Church of America, Christian Reformed, United Reformed, Free Reformed, Netherlands Reformed, Heritage Reformed, Reformed Presbyterian, and last but not least, the Protestant Reformed. When the Lord called us to be fruitful and multiply, I don't think that's what he meant. Well, we all know about that. We, we've all uh, lived through it, those of us who've been alive for any length of time. We've lived through church splits. And um, it's an ongoing problem, right? We're all worried about conflict and schism within the church still. In fact, the pressures are as high and as hard as they've ever been. Uh, this past couple years during the pandemic, a lot of churches and ministers came into conflict and a lot of churches and ministers split. So a lot of internal conflict. And there are external pressures. The political wrangling, uh, COVID policy, and up and coming, I think you all know, LGBTQ discussions, all of these are putting enormous conflictual pressure. And I am worried, and I know many of you are worried, that those eight denominations may turn into nine or 10. I pray that that does not happen. But we're all worried about what's coming. So this morning we're going to talk about conflict. And conflict isn't something new. We didn't invent it as a Christian Reformed Church. It's at least as old as Paul and Barnabas. Listen to these words. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord... And let's see how they're doing. 
Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul didn't think it wise to take him because he deserted them in Pamphylia and not, not continued with them in their work. That's on the first missionary journey. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord. He went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Paul and Barnabas had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. There was a schism. It wasn't just a conflict, it was a schism. They stopped talking to each other. And that news, I am sure, must have fallen like a bomb into the early church. I mean, I'm sure it spread like wildfire through all the church communities. Paul and Silas, Paul and Barnabas aren't together anymore. Paul and Barnabas, they did all that mission together and they've split. They're not speaking to each other. What happened? How did this come to be? Well, it started with Mark. John Mark, who was Barnabas' cousin, when Paul and Barnabas had gone out in their first missionary journey, Mark, who was younger, had come to them and said, guys, I want to come along. I know I'm young, but I'm ready. I can do this. I'm ready. I want to go with you. And he was so enthusiastic that he said, okay, you can come. And they started their work in Cy Cyprus. They went all around that island and planted churches and preached in all the different places. And at first it went okay, but the days were long. And you weren't always sure where you're going to be sleeping at night. And you weren't always sure where your next meal was coming from. And there was lots of tension and lots of opposition. And Mark began to get homesick. And that grew so that when Paul and Barnabas sailed north to Asia Minor and Pamphylia, Mark left the ship. He went home to his mom in a warm bed. Now, the time for a second missionary journey had come. And at some point, as they were preparing to leave, Barnabas came to Paul and said, Paul, I want to take Mark. I know he messed up the first time, but he was young. He deserves a second chance. I want Mark to come along. And Paul responded with some version of, not on your life. Come on, Paul, he's only a kid. He was only a kid when he made those mistakes. Give him a second chance. I don't think so. There is no way that I'm lugging that mama's boy all over Asia Minor. We could have used him on the first journey. Do you remember how hard it was, Barnabas? Lystra, Barnabas, do you remember Lystra? They beat me to within an inch of my life. I was lying half dead in a ditch, and he was at home having muffins with his mom. No way, not taking them. Come on, Paul. He said he was sorry. Honestly, Paul, you could be so stubborn sometimes. And Barnabas, you could be such a bleeding heart. And it escalated, and soon they weren't talking, and then they split. And Paul chose Silas, went to Asia Minor, Barnabas chose Mark, went to Cyprus. It was a schism. Now, as with all fights... I am sure that if we were there and we were close to it, we would say there's blame on both sides. Uh, and I, I have some theories about how Barnabas might be partly to blame for this. I'm not going to share those with you. I'm more interested in looking at Paul and who Paul is in this conflict. Because we know Paul better. We have a lot more stories about Paul. And of course, we have all his letters. 
And so I'm interested in looking at how Paul behaved in this conflict. And as we do that in the context of Scripture, I hope that we can reflect a little bit on who we ought to be as Christians in conflict. And let me begin by saying that I don't think Paul behaved very well in this conflict. And if I were Paul's friend, I would gently come to him, or maybe not so gently, come alongside him, and I would have a few things to say to him. I would have three things specifically to say to him about the way he behaved. First, I would say to him, Paul, I think you need a little sense of proportion. Think of all that you and Barnabas have been through. You guys are enormous friends, and you've been through the wars together. You've planted all those churches. You've endured all that stuff together. You guys planted the church at Antioch together, and you ministered side by side for a whole year. That church is amazing right now, and you guys planted it. How many times have the two of you not been on your knees side by side weeping together, and you're going to throw that all away because of this? Proportion, Paul. Proportion. Think of what you're giving up. And then I would say to Paul, Paul, now explain to me why you don't want to give Mark a second chance. You, Paul, formerly Saul of Tarsus, you don't want to give Mark a second chance because, Paul, if I'm remembering correctly, I think the Lord gave you a pretty big second chance on the road to Damascus. Forgive me, Paul. But when I see your behavior here, that story that Jesus told, you know the one about the unforgiving servant? The guy who was forgiven a million bucks and then was unwilling to forgive five? That story comes to mind, Paul. Sorry, it's true. And then my third question for Paul would be, my dear friend, you don't like it that Barnabas is sticking up for Mark. Have you forgotten that this is what Barnabas does? Remember your own story, Paul? When you were converted, the first time you went to Jerusalem, nobody wanted to have anything to do with you. Nobody wanted you on the mission team. Everybody thought you were dangerous. Everybody thought your conversion was fake. Who stood up for you, Paul? Who stood up for you? Oh, I remember it was Barnabas. He went to bat for you, and that's the only reason they accepted you. And now he's going to bat for John, Mark, and you're going to give him the business? Frankly, there's some hypocrisy there. Paul does not behave very well in this, in this conflict. And it's yet another example in Scripture of how some of the great heroes of the faith are far from perfect saints. So when you look at Paul's past leading up to this conflict, I think we can make a pretty fair judgment that yeah, he didn't do so well. It's also interesting to look at the things Paul does and writes in the future compared to how he behaves in this story. And if you do that, what you notice is Paul changes. If older Paul, from later in his ministry, could come and talk to younger Paul, who behaves this way in Acts 15, I have a feeling that older Paul would have a few harsh things to say to younger Paul. And why do I say that? Well, look at some of the things he writes later on. For example, Philippians 1. In the Philippian church, there is a controversy, there's a conflict, and the conflict is centered around the fact that there are some people who are preaching Christ for selfish motives, because they like the attention, maybe they get some money out of it. Anyway, selfish motives. How does Paul react to that controversy? 
Philippians 1.18, he says, eh. Some people preach Christ for selfish reasons. Some people preach Christ for pure motives. So long as Christ is preached, what do I care? Do you hear how totally different that sounds? Paul, in our story, seems uncompromising. In Philippians 1, he seems flexible, open-hearted. Or compare Paul's behavior in our text with what he writes in Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, verse 1 through 4, he gives advice to the churches about conflict, and this is what he says. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of truth. Now, that's great advice. I think we can say Paul does not follow his own advice in this passage. He is not completely patient. He is not completely gentle. He does not make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of truth. Well, what's happened in the future? Well, Paul has changed. More precisely, the Holy Spirit has changed Paul. Why has the Holy Spirit changed Paul? Well, he's further down the road of sanctification. A lot of time has passed. In our passage, it's probably about 48 AD. It's early in the ministry. Paul is full of zeal and youthful enthusiasm. When he writes Philippians and Ephesians, it's probably about 60 or 62. So you're looking at a dozen years. And in that time, all kinds of really traumatic and formative things have happened to Paul. He's been in jail at least three times, and one of those times for two years. He's gone through all kinds of conflict. He's been beaten to within an inch of his life. And if you read 2 Corinthians 1, there's at least one time in his ministry where he felt like he was ready to give up. When you go through all that stuff, it has a way of changing you. The Spirit has used all those experiences to make him more flexible. Paul has changed. How specifically has he changed? I think, and this is the virtue I want to focus on today as we think about Christian conflict, I think Paul has grown in humility. He writes about it a lot in his later letters. Be completely humble and gentle, he said in Ephesians 4. Philippians 2, in humility, consider other people's better than yourselves. He's trying to grow in humility. And I think humility was not a virtue that came naturally to Paul. I'm sure Paul was used to being the smartest guy in the room. And I'm sure that when Paul stated his opinion, he was used to being correct almost all the time. I'm sure Paul did not suffer fools. So humility was not something that came native to him. I think if you read Philippians 3, when he talks about the struggles and how he's trying to grow in the Lord, you can hear him trying to move from the pride of his youth when he obeyed everything to a more humble road. Humility, so important as we do Christian conflict. Essential. As we approach the future and the fraught issues that are ahead, it is so important that we approach these with humility, that we have a sense in conflict that we might be wrong, and that we have a sense in conflict that we have a memory of the times we were wrong and the times we failed and the times we were given grace. Pride wants to make us forget. 
One of pride's greatest weapons is forgetfulness. We forget when we failed. We forget when we're wrong. We forget how in those times other people surrounded us by their grace and lifted us up. Paul clearly in this conflict has forgotten how he was lifted up and how he was given grace. We are imperfect people. And so when we enter into conflict, we must have a robust sense of our imperfection, not in a guilt-inducing way, but in a way that knows that we are forgiven. We remember our sins, not in a way that makes us feel horrible, but in a way that makes us open to God's grace for ourselves and others. Over my break, continuing education break a couple weeks ago, I reread Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, Life Together. That's a classic of Christian community, Life Together. And one of the disciplines that Bonhoeffer says is so important to forming a community and keeping people together is the discipline of confession. Bonhoeffer says confession is key to forming community. So that's what we did earlier when we said that prayer of confession. Why is that? an important discipline of community because it grounds us in humility. When we say that prayer of confession together, we remind ourselves that I am imperfect and broken and the people around me are imperfect and broken and we've been given this amazing grace through Jesus Christ. We help ourselves remember. Here's a quote from Bonhoeffer about that. Pious fellowship. And by pious fellowship, he means the fellowship that will tolerate no imperfection or sin or variance. The pious fellowship permits no one to be a sinner. So, everyone must conceal himself from himself and from the fellowship. Communities that don't acknowledge imperfection and tend toward perfectionism become brittle because they leave no room for their own sin or the sin of those around them. We need practices that keep humility at the center. Think about the fruit of the Spirit. Think about the things that is very clear in the New Testament that the Holy Spirit builds in our lives. So many of those virtues are virtues that are designed to help us live with each other's brokenness in our own. Humility, I already mentioned. When I'm humble, I acknowledge the imperfection of my intellect. I don't know everything. Patience. When I am patient, I acknowledge the imperfection of my scheduling, that I don't always know how things should go and when they go. I acknowledge the imperfection of my will. Forbearance. When I forbear, I acknowledge that my emotional reactions in a difficult situation might not always be accurate. I may want to be angry, I may want to be bitter. When I forbear, I acknowledge the brokenness of my emotional responses. All these virtues teach us our own weakness and help us to make room for the weakness of others. Without these virtues, there is inadequate flexibility in communities. They become brittle and they shatter. So Paul grows in humility. Paul teaches humility later in his ministry as a way to bring community. I think the other thing or the other flip side of this humility is not only does Paul begin to realize his own weakness, he begins to look more clearly to the grace and power and care of his Lord. And he begins to understand that he can trust the Holy Spirit's care for his church. Think about 
what Paul is valuing in this conflict. Why is he so insistent that John Mark can't come along on this, on this mission trip? Because he thinks it all depends on people. He seems actually to believe that if John Mark comes along, everything will fail. It can't possibly work if John Mark comes along. That's overvaluing the input of people in the kingdom of God. And I promise you, if Paul thinks that John Mark has the power to mess everything up in the kingdom of God, he's also anxious about his own performance. But church history tells us, and scripture tells us, the way things generally go is that people are the ones who make a mess, and the Holy Spirit is the one who comes along and fixes things and puts things back together, which is what he does here. Paul and Silas, they, Paul and Barnabas have this terrible fight. They split. Paul and Silas end up going to Asia Minor and then to Europe. The Holy Spirit uses that to do amazing things. Mark and Barnabas split off. The fight should never happen, but they split and they end up going to Cyprus. The churches are strengthened. The Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit always does, takes the mess that human beings are make and fixes it. And as you keep reading scripture, you will see that the Holy Spirit does the same thing with these broken relationships. It seems like Paul and Barnabas reconcile. In 1 Corinthians 9, Paul speaks positively about Barnabas' mission later on. He mentions Barnabas again in Colossians 4.10, so it seems like these old friends have some kind of reconciliation. And the story of Paul and Mark is even more interesting because not only does Paul reconcile with Mark, they start working together. You read Philemon, it's very clear that Paul and Mark are on mission trips together. And in Colossians, he commends Mark to the Colossian church and says, Mark, you can trust him, he's a good guy. And then most interesting of all, and I love this, 2 Timothy 4. This is right at the end of Paul's ministry. He is in jail and he is truly worried that he's gonna be executed. Uh, it may be, in fact, the jail time that he serves right before he is executed in Rome. And he's almost no one with him. He's alone. He's lonely. If you read 2 Timothy 4, you can feel the fear in him. And he writes and he says, I'm all alone. Only Luke is with me. Send Mark. He can be useful to me. When you are in crisis... When you're in trouble, there's a very small circle of people that you want beside you. And those people are your closest, dearest friends. I think it's such an incredible picture that these two people who are unsplit from one another by the power and grace of the Holy Spirit have now been brought together so they are literally close church friends. Our hope for the future of the church does not rest in people, praise the Lord. Our hope for the church rests in the grace and care of our Lord Jesus Christ. The conflicts that are coming are important. These are important issues. We're going to have to talk about them. We're going to have to look for the truth. We're going to have to seek God's way, and there will be conflict on that path. But as we approach that conflict, let us approach that conflict with the humility of knowing that, um, you know, we're imperfect people and we might be wrong, and the trust that our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave his blood for this church, will sustain us. Amen.
Lord Jesus, here we are again. Um, you're nervous, anxious, joyful, loving people. Lord, we, we were both sinners and, and believers at the same time. We follow you and we don't follow you at the same time. But in all things, in life and in death, we belong to you. And so we praise you for that. Give us courage and humility as we move forward to face the tasks of our day, whether those conflicts are in our home or at our work or in our friendships or whether those conflicts are in our church, Lord. Fill us with the fruit of your spirit so that your grace may abound. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.